understand that it's a temple and you're going to see the temple imagery of the garden all the way through the Jewish temple, the tabernacle, all the way up to the new Jerusalem at the end. So we're going to look at that and then after that we're going to see the first marriage. Yes, it is a marriage when God creates um, Eve and so we're going to talk about that. And then, of course, chapter 3 is the fall. Okay, so I want to finish chapter 1 today in... Uh, uh, I'm not sure how far we got. I'm thinking we got to all the way to 25. Yeah, I think 26 is, 26 is next. So we only got a few verses left from 26 to 31, but there's a lot here, so we're probably it'll probably take us the whole time. Uh, God created all in these six days, um, and now we come to the crowning achievement of creation, which is... Mankind. He's going to create man. And remember, chapter 1 is kind of a summary. Not a summary, but it is just an overview of all creation. And once we hit chapter 2, he's going to back up and he's going to focus in on the creation of man. So as chapter 2 uh, begins, it's going to look like man hadn't been created yet. And the reason is because he is... The, chapter 1 is just an overview of the whole thing. Chapter 2 is going to focus in just on the creation of man and the ramifications that begins the second story where of course that culminates in the fall and so at the the conclusion of the sixth day he's already created the animals and then he's about to create man and verse 26 says and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air of the cattle over the earth over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so God created man in his own image in, in the image of God he created him Male and female created he them. Okay, we'll look at those pronouns in a minute. So here is the culmination of creations, mankind. Why does it say let us create man in our image? That ought to be an easy one. Let us create our man. The Trinity. The Trinity, yes. It's God in creation. Now, here's one thing you need to know. Genesis 126 doesn't prove that God is a Trinity, but it sure is a dang good indication that he is a plurality. And we see it in the New Testament. All things were created, talking about Jesus, all things were created by him and for him and through him. And we see the spirit moving over the creation in the early part of chapter one. And so all the three members of the Trinity, the three persons in the Trinity are active in the creation. And so you're going to have some people that are going to say it's a plural of majesty, which means a plural of majesty, majesty is when like, a, uh, when like a king or a queen uh, would say, you know, like a king would be, a queen would be sitting on a throne and somebody will be saying, well, your majesty, we need to decide this. And the queen will say, we have decided that we are going to, that's a plural of majesty. Uh, it's unconvincing. I don't think that it is, but there's some people that are going to argue for that other people will argue the fact that it is the heavenly court like it's the angels and, and everybody that's in the heavenly courtroom uh, that really doesn't make much sense because he says let us create them in our image uh, we're not created in the image of of uh, angels or anything like that it says in the image of God he created them and so uh, it, it makes a whole lot of sense to see uh, to see the the members of the Trinity there in uh, in in creation as he is uh, as he's created now he says he created them male and female he created man in the image 
of God. Now, there's a lot of ramifications about what's the image of God, do you think? And there's a lot of things that could be up under this umbrella. So don't feel like you're going to get the answer wrong. Just tell me what you think. What's the image? What are some aspects? There's lots and lots of them. So it's not just one answer. What are some aspects of the image of God in man? What makes, what, what, uh, what can you see in mankind that is formed us in the image of God? The Spirit of God. The Spirit, is the Spirit of God dwell in all mankind? That the Bible says He won't. But <clears throat> in the sense of the word, you know, in the likeness of Christ, you know, he instills within us. Is it what he expects saved. of us? Well, partly, yes. Love. Huh? Love. The fact that we can love, that we're able to love, that's part, absolutely. The fact that we are... Now, remember, I, I see what you're saying, Dustin, but remember that even lost people are created in the image of God. Every, every, all mankind is created in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, we're going to see over you go to John chapter 8, and he's, you know, not all people are the sons of God, the daughters of God, uh, because that means, you know, you, you must be born again in order for that. But even ev every person, male, female, no matter who you are, if you are human, you are a humankind. You are created in the image of God. We're going to see in the fall that that image is marred, and it's but it's not destroyed. In Genesis nine six, it says the reason why murder is wrong is because man is created in the image of God. It says by by if uh, any man sheds blood by by man his blood must be shed because man was created because man is created in the image of God. We don't call a snake killing a chicken and murder. We don't call a bear killing a deer murder, but we call a man killing another man murder. Why? Because we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And so there's lots of things you could say. I mean, I'm not looking to be honest, there are whole books written on the image of God and we could talk about it. There's there's really not one definitive biblical answer. Um, what separates us from the animals? You know, you've got reasoning, you've got logic, you've got uh, a will, uh, you've got morals. You know, animals don't have morals. It's not wrong for a snake to sn steal a chicken's egg either. You know what I mean? But it's wrong for us to steal. It's not wrong for a dog to go out and just hunt whatever he can find. But it's wrong for... Okay, as far as we'll go with that. <laughs> you know, we have we have morals. We have a sense of right and wrong. We have, we have things within us, built within us, that the animal kingdom just doesn't have. You know, just doesn't possess. And so what we see is all these all these could be part and parcel of the image of God. They're called God's communicable attributes. Things that that uh, uh, God has imparted to mankind that makes us different, makes us different from all the rest of creation. Um, but the text here doesn't necessarily focus on what we are as the image of God. It focuses on what we are supposed to do. As the image of God. You see that? In verse 26, what does it say? Um, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and what? Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. And then in verse 20, 28, he's going to say, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. 
And so what we see is the, the, the image of God in us. In, in the ancient Near East, if a king would go and conquer a land, he would set his image up as to let people know that he, he's the ruler of that land. You see, you know, statues like Nebuchadnezzar says a statue and all these other deals would have, you know, images of God. And so man is, is God's image in the earth. And it, the reason it is uh, so is so that we are to be a... I don't know. The word that's used is a vice regent. It's a, a ruler over creation, but an under ruler to the God of creation. Does that make sense? We are to have dominion over the earth. And when it, when it says subdue it, what it means is use it for our, use it for your needs. Use it for uh, the the glorying of God, and that's where that's where there's two ditches you can fall into. One is the the environmentalist deal, where it says that you know humans are just messing up creation, and we're we're supposed to treat mo- Mother Earth like you know she's a goddess or whatever. That's one ditch you can fall in, and the other ditch is that you know it's our Earth. We can do whatever we want. Let's throw Coke bottles out the window and all that you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're supposed to be good stewards of the environment that we have, the the creation that we have, but it is for our use. It's for us to, you know, we we use it when we we subdue it when you know we use technology when we you know mine for natural resources or whatever, whatever. We're called to be God's uh, vice regent here on on the earth. We're called to rule it in his stead and we're called to be fruitful and multiply. Now we're going to see this over and over again. This is one of the themes that we're going to trace not only throughout Genesis but throughout the Bible. When it says be fruitful and multiply, what does he want from us? Just have a lot of babies? I mean, that's be, that's what it means, be fruitful and multiply. Generations that follow him. Yeah, he wants generations that follow him. He wants us to, we're going to see this more in the next chapter. I'm kind of, I'm getting ahead of my skis just a little bit. We're, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to see it in chapter two. He wants us to spread the image of God across the creation. The whole creation is here to uh, display the glory of God. And he wants, he, he created man to have dominion, to be fruitful, multiply, to spread. Spread the image of God over all creation. Now it all gets messed up in chapter 3 because the fall and the, the image gets marred. But you see it over and over again. And I'll go ahead and give you the snapshot of the end of the story. There there comes uh, uh, the great, 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 great grandson of Abraham who is Jesus, the God-man, who restores the image of God in mankind by causing us to be born again. And he restores that image. And what's Jesus' command before he leaves? Go and make disciples. And so it's the same. It's the same thing. You see a fulfillment of the command to spread the image of God in the very beginning in the command of Christ. When he says, "Okay, the image of man, uh, the image of God in man has been restored in me. Those who trust in me are born again by the spirit of God. And the image, my image, we're being daily conformed to the image of Christ. That image has been restored, remade, perfected. Now go and spread that image across the creation. 
And so you see how it's really just one big story. It's one long story of the fall, bringing sin, death, judgment, the marring of the image of God. Jesus comes for the restoration of that image, for the restoration of mankind in relationship with the Father. And the rest is the the, uh, continual subduing of the world until finally the new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth, where the earth is perfected in the way that it was always supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. It's just one one big story. It also means that uh, all mankind has value because all mankind are in the image of God. All of them. Everyone. Every race, every creed, every age, every color, every, you know, if you are a human, then you have value in God's sight because you are created in the image and the likeness of God. And that's why Genesis 9-6 says, If anyone sheds man's blood, by man his blood must be shed because you are created in the image of God. Everybody understand that? That's something that we kind of know intuitively. We, you know that all mankind has value. But it's something that... It's something that... Uh, I don't know, it's hard to work out practically as you're walking around your daily life. Because let's face it, some people are stupid. You know what I mean? Some people... Some people get on your nerves. Some people grade you the wrong way. Some people do whatever. And it does us well to remember that they too are created in the image of God. Even people, you know, you got people nowadays that want to kill you. They're created in the image of God. And what they are really is our mission field. We're to, of course, do what Christ said, go and spread the gospel, to go and spread that spread that uh, perfected, perfected image of God. It also means there's a lots of lots of ways we could take this discussion. There it also means that if you are a human being, meaning if you are still in the womb, you have value as a human being. You created in the image of God. You have all the rights and privileges of a human being in the image of God, value. And if a man sheds innocent man's blood, by, by man his blood must be shed. Same murder applies to anything, anyone that is a human being. So, of course, you get into defining human humanity there. And, of course, I, I'm pretty sure we're all on the same page on that. But that's the point of, of the image is that we are to... Not just not just who we are as the image, but we're called to have dominion over over the creation. We're called to subdue it. And I've already told you about the, that doesn't mean that, you know, we're to tear it up. It means it's a blessing to have dominion over the creation, but it's also a responsibility. You know, I, I'm not a I'm not a tree hugging kind of guy if that joker's in my yard and needs to go i'm gonna cut it down just like everybody else you know so i'm not that guy uh but it's a blessing and a responsibility y'all are looking at me like what are you doing you crazy y'all with me everybody good you understand what about the death penalty there what about it and it's talking about nobody is to murder anybody um Nobody is to murder anybody. Human is to kill another human. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between kill and murder. Okay. Um, There's a different word in the Septuagint for kill and murder. Um, I realize that's kind of a stretch as well. But he does he does give it's called the lex talionis, which means the law of retaliation. You'll find that in um, 
man, I could have told you this. Deuteronomy. But anyway, it gives it gives the um, it gives the 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 God ordained rulers the you know it said basically it says eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, if a man sheds. Even in Genesis nine six, it says if a man sheds blood then by man his blood shall be said because he's created in the image of God. Now if you go you go to the New Testament, you got Peter and Paul both telling us that we're to be subject to our governmental authorities. Um, the the way the way that works, and this is just me talking out loud, the way that works is uh, the uh, the government is given for us as a uh, protection, what it's supposed to be, you know, nowadays it's corrupted and all that, but it's given for to Protect and to it's Paul says they're given the sword, you know. So that's what that means. And so they have they have the um, they have the authority to enact judgment if a man sheds innocent, innocent blood by by man's blood should be shed. Now you and I, just as private citizens, you know, we don't have the we don't basically also because it would it would break the law. So if you're asking me if I agree with the death penalty, then I, I do. But I don't make that a test of fellowship. So we could disagree about that and still be, you know, lots of people disagree with me, you know, and whatever. Well, I think that if, you know, a lot, a lot, especially nowadays, the world probably wouldn't be as evil if they actually followed, you know, the, the different penalties of the Bible and what it says instead of just putting them up and feeding them three meals a day. You know, and I, I agree with everybody should get a second chance, but... Like I said, you know, the Bible also does speak very clearly. Yeah. And there's a, there's another interesting thing that you, you probably need to make sure that you're aware of. Um, we're, uh, this is probably not part of this deal, but it's important. We, we may have to do a, a lesson on it at one time. I think I've done one before. There's a difference between the laws in the Old Testament. There's a, you know, the part you hear the people out there say, well, if you say that you, you're not supposed to have gay marriage, then you say you can't eat shellfish either or you can't wear a different. That shows that you have no idea how to read the Bible or that you've ever read the whole thing from cover to cover. Because the reality is that there's three types of laws in the Old Testament. There's the moral law, which is embodied in the Ten Commandments, but there's other moral laws as well. And then you have the civil law, which is it regulated the society of Israel. You know, you if you if you steal from a man, you gotta give him that back plus a donkey and a couple chickens and you know, all that stuff is in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And then you have the ceremonial law, which made you right before God. You could come not made you right before God, but made you able to come into the presence of God. Like you had to bring this many bulls for this sin and this many pigeons and whatever, whatever. Well, the New Testament clearly tells us that both the civil and the ceremonial law are done away with in Christ. So no longer do we have to worry about in Acts 10, Jesus himself told Peter, we don't worry about the food laws anymore. Don't call what I've made clean. You know, we, we did that when we went through Acts. Food laws are gone. And so the civil laws, like for instance, um, in Leviticus, it says that if uh, uh, some are caught in homosexuality, they should be stoned to death. Well, we don't stone people to death. Why? Because Paul and Peter tell us we are to be subject to our own rulers and authorities. And he said that while Nero was the Caesar. And so if you were to go out and to do that punitive uh, punishment for that sin, you yourself would be breaking the laws of the, the society that you live under. And we're called not to do that. And so there's a difference between 
the civil law, ceremonial law, and the moral law that is for all time. We're going to talk more about that as we get into marriage because right here in the second the second chapter of, of Genesis, this is the first marriage ceremony and uh, that, that, that you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That When, when Adam says that, he is invoking a covenant uh, formula that is throughout the Old Testament that shows that he and the woman are in covenant together and that covenant, that union is uh, is before there's any laws given. You know, there's no Moses. Moses ain't a twinkle in his daddy's eye yet when Adam and, and Eve were the first married couple. And so, um, I don't know how far, how, where'd, I, where'd I come from? What was I doing? Oh yeah, the laws of, of the laws of um, uh, civil laws in the Old Testament uh are done away with for us today because Paul, Peter, uh, Paul in two different places calls us, commands us to be subject to our governmental authorities, be be subject to our own rulers, and uh, and so we we uh, we're subject to the laws that we live under, not the theocracy that Israel lived under. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay. But the moral law is still in effect. The laws over sexuality, the laws over killing, the laws over adultery, idolatry, all those things still in effect. They were established at the very beginning before there was ever Ten Commandments or Law of Moses, and they were established at the creation. Any other questions? The image of God. So we're supposed to rule over the creation. Uh, he creates this kind of, 27 is kind of poetic. He said, oh, one more thing. We, we have dominion over the creation and the creation serves mankind, not for mankind's benefit. That's something that you got to make sure you understand. But for God's benefit. We're here as stewards, as stewards for God. We're here to spread his image. We're not here to, you know, to be the, the top of the food chain just because we're so awesome and everything needs to serve me. We're here as vice regents of God to glorify him, to spread his image through the creation and to subdue the creation so it would glorify God. Everybody got that? All right. Uh, 27 is kind of, uh, it's in poetic verse. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so what we see here would be, I mean, it's really not that big of a stretch for us. But man, if you were a Hebrew living in 1500 BC when this was written, this is saying that man, male and female have equal value in God's eyes. And culturally, where, especially where the Hebrews lived, that was not the accepted practice. Most of y'all know it's patriarchal societies from, you know, for a long time ago. But here, Moses writes in 1500 B.C. that both male and female are created in the image of God. Why does it say... I don't know if you followed the pronouns. It said, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. But then it says, male and female, he created them. Why do you think the image of God is created in both male and female? And before you don't, please don't say God is both male and female or something like that. <laughs> Why is it that we are created as male and female? Just give me what you think. I mean, I'm not... 
Well, procreation for sure. Absolutely. Is that it's part and parcel of being part of the image of God that we be in relationship. We're going to see in the next chapter, God said, as we go through these days of creation, it was good. You know, God created this and it was good. God created that and it was good. At the end of this creation section, he's going to say he looked at the creation. It was very good. The first time in all of history that God says something is not good. What did he say? Do I know? He said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created male and female. Remember, this is an overview. Chapter 2 is going to focus in on the creation of Adam and Eve. This is an overview, this, this uh, all of creation. He says he created them male and female, but we're male and female in the image of God. Why are we created as relational beings? Doesn't mean you have to be married or something like that, but we're created to be in community with each other. We're created to be in relationship with each other. It's not good for man to be alone. Why do you think we're created? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Remember the, the lessons we did on the Trinity? God did not exist as a solitary person in eternity. There's one God, and He exists eternally in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And those three persons are eternally in relationship with each other. So God was loved before there was any creation to love because the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Spirit and the Spirit loved the Father and the, all, all three existed in those that love-perfect relationship. And the creation is not because, you know, hey, God just got bored and said, you know what, I'm tired of being out here all by myself. I'm just going to create some stuff and create some people so they can hang out with me. He created out of the abundance of that love so He could bring mankind into that relationship. Uh, that's what happened. Adam and Eve were supposed to come into relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and enjoy the relationship that they had enjoyed for eternity. But what happened? Of course, you know what happened. Adam screwed it all up. And so that's what Jesus did. He came, and as the last Adam, he came to remake all that. He came to do what Adam failed to do. He came to do what, what, every, uh, what Israel failed to do, what Adam failed to do. He accomplished what they failed to do. And then as he ascended back to the right hand of the Father, he brought all those who trusted within him with him in that perfect relation. That's why the New Testament over and over again says... In Christ. If you be in Christ. If you be in Christ, you have all spiritual blessings. In Christ. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ. We're in Christ when we are united with Him. He brings us back into that perfect relationship that the Father, Son, and the Spirit have always enjoyed. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? No questions? Okay. So, male and female, He created them. The first thing he says is, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And then 28, of course, we already said, we're called to subdue the earth. We're called to multiply, fill the earth with this image. We've already talked about that. Adam fails. Uh, he, he and his wife both fail. And the image of God is going to be marred. So he cannot any longer perfectly reflect the image of God. He's removed from the garden. And the cherubim there with a flaming sword is placed at the door of the garden. And... He is tasked to do the exact thing that Adam was supposed to do, which is guard the garden. Uh, and Adam failed to do that, allowed the serpent to come in. And so we're going to talk about all that as we get there. But the same, that's the purpose of why Christ came, was to, was to 
remake that image to cause us to be born again with a new Adam as our head. God either sees you in one of two ways. He is either going to see you in Adam or he's going to see you in Christ. You're going to have one of those two heads uh, representing you before God. You're either going to see you're either going to be seen in Adam, which you're going to have what Adam offers you, which is absolutely nothing but sin and death and, and failure and all that. Or you're going to have what Christ offers you, and that is redemption, salvation and forgiveness and the perfect image of God. And so you're either in the first Adam or the last Adam, as Paul puts it in First Corinthians. And so in 28, he says, let me just read it, make sure I got everything. God blessed them. And he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. Understand, he, we are to spread the image of God throughout the creation. And of course, we can't do that now unless you have been born again and you go and make disciples. That's how we spread the image of God throughout the creation. And it says, uh, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl, over the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And it says that uh, God gave the vegetation for food. This is what we were talking about last week, about the animals not eating meat or the people not eating meat, which, man, I really hope that ain't so because I do love my cheeseburgers. It says, and, and God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of tree yielding seed that you that to you it shall be for meat, which is the word is food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So there's your there's the answer that of your question, uh, and I take it to mean exactly what it says. That means. I really don't want to admit it, but it seems like they were all vegetarian. I hope it ain't that way in the New Jerusalem. I don't have to worry about it because I'm going to be happy there. We're not going to be, I'm not going to be up there missing steak. But man, while I'm here, I will be missing a steak with that blue cheese stuff on. Okay, never mind. Oh, that's good. Okay, so basically, <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm going to like redirect you for just a second. Uh, in verse 28, there's several people that will argue the fact of that word replenish. Replenish. Oh, like there was a creation beforehand. Yes, I've heard that. Let me look up the word. I don't know it right off the top of my head. Let me see. But, of course, we know, we already know the answer. But let me see if we, uh, if I can find it real quick. Where are we at? Oh, crud. But if you read it in the context of the sentence, too, right. it says, be fruitful and multiply. So... And replenish, so that's like an ongoing thing. I mean, like they couldn't multiply; they were in non they were non-existent for now. Yeah. Just like the other stuff was non-existent until now. All right, let me look at it. Well, and really, to be honest, you're you're right. Go ahead. I just reading in the context of the sin. I mean, like when you plant a garden, you're going to have to replant next year. Mm-hmm. Okay, the word is male, and it means to be full, to fill, uh, to accomplish, to fulfill, to furnish, to gather, to presume, replenish, satisfy. 
there's a lot of definitions given. Uh, this this dictionary doesn't give me the verse numbers. Um, but what I what I would say is that the same thing. Two of the definitions. Let me just do it this way. Two of the definitions. There's lots of definitions given for the context that was used. Is to fill. So that's the way I would take it. To fill the earth. To replenish the earth is to fill the earth. Um, Remember, the thing you need to know about languages, I told you last week, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Uh, I did much better in school in Greek than I did in Hebrew. Uh, but the thing about language is we use word. The, the guy that comes up to you and says, well, the Greek word here means he, that he, he needs to show you what it means in the context that you're looking at. You know what I mean? In English, look at this. Well, I mean, the word table, what does it mean? Define it for me, the word table. Well, it's not a trick question. Table. What is it? Piece of furniture with a leg. Let's use it in a sentence. Let's table this discussion until we get to next week. What's the definition of table? Oh, okay. Well, what if I'm in science class and I say, y'all, let's look at this periodic table. What's the definition of table? You see how the definition, the definition is depending upon the context. What's define green for me? You'll say it's a color between blue and yellow or something like that. But if I say, you know, I'm going out to make some green, what's the definition? Money. If I say I'm going out to get a green job, what does that mean? It's environmentally, you know, whatever. So we define words not based on, hey, the dictionary says that we define words based on their content. And that's the way Greek and Hebrew and all that works. So really, you don't have to know. Uh, I'm not going to say it's not helpful because I enjoy the original languages. But it's not necessary for you to know what God was trying to say. If you understand the context, if you understand what's going on in the passage, you can, you can understand what's happening there without being a Hebrew scholar. Everybody understand that? I put my phone. Where? Man. Okay. Yeah, the replenish the earth, though. Remember, we went way back to... I, I got to go. It's, I'm a, I have chased a bunch of rabbits today. Uh, replenish goes back to the argument. There are a lot of people that make the argument that there was a creation before and God wiped that creation out and then started again with Adam and Eve. That's not, that's not in the text somewhere. That's the, the gap theory between verse 1 and verse 2. And that's... That he would have wrote about it? I mean, yes, and it goes back to remember the hermeneutical principle that we talked about last week. Hermeneutics is the way to interpret. We need to understand what the original readers would have thought. You don't put your modern scientific brain to work. You know, when you're talking about firmament and you're talking about all that kind of stuff, you need to read it as if you were a Hebrew in the time that Moses was reading. And then you get the meaning of it, and then you take that meaning, and then you bring it to the 2016 and apply it to your life. That's how we interpret the Bible. Make sense? Okay, finally, we got to get through the first three verses of chapter 2. That's the seventh day. The heavens and the earth were finished, and all... Of the host of them, I got five more minutes. <clears throat> and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, 
And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, which means made it holy, because that in he in it he had rested from all his work which God created he made. These are the... No, that's the next week. Uh, so the seventh day, we finally get to the seventh day, the day of rest, the Sabbath, the seventh day. Now, here's the thing. Did God rest because he was tired from all the work he had done? No. He, yes, it means he was finished. He was done. He completed the work that he was called to do. And he provided, he blessed that day, sanctified that day. And if you, if you read the Bible as a whole, you'll find out that it was made for you. It was not made as a rule. You better, start, you better not do no work on the Sabbath. It was made for you as a blessing to have a day of rest. Uh, that's what the Pharisees got into. Remember when Jesus was, Jesus' disciples were picking grain and the Pharisee says, oh, you're not supposed to be doing that. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so here's another thing I want you to see before we move on. You're going to see if we continue to go, we're going to go through Genesis. If you go through Exodus as well, you'll see this. The Sabbath, the focus of the Sabbath changes as you go through Scripture. In Genesis, the Sabbath is going to be a commemoration of the creation that God rested at the creation. In Exodus, what's the Sabbath a commemoration of? Passover. Yes, the Passover, the coming out of the people of Egypt. And it's going to be, it's going to be a scene as a commemoration of the Exodus through most of the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, it's going to be a commemoration of what? the resurrection and that's why the earliest christians moved the day of worship to sunday because that's when that's when jesus was that's when jesus was resurrected and you can see that from the very earliest literature of christian uh you know a lot of people today are gonna i had an argument just last week with a guy about saturday sabbath or sunday but you can see it from the very very beginning if you look in hebrews let me read this one to you and then we'll go Hebrews chapter, man, I should have had it wrote down. I'm such an idiot. I'm going to say it's four. I turn there and look, look with me real quick. It's going to show us the true meaning of the Sabbath. And so when somebody says, oh, you're supposed to be keeping the Sabbath on Saturday. First of all, Romans 14 tells us that there's no one day holier than any other. Each day, you know, if a man thinks that each day, let him be assured in his own mind. At the end of chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse uh, 16, he's talking about the Israelites that came into the land of rest. He's talking about that Sabbath, that Sabbath rest. It says, for some, when they had heard, verse 16 of chapter 3, for some, when they have heard, did provoke, howbeit not all came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom he was grieved that 40 years, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Here's the point, verse 18, and to whom swore he? He, they should not enter into his rest. That's what we're talking about. But them that not believe, they were not allowed to go into the promised land. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. The Sabbath in the, that time was the, the rest of the promised land. He says, let us therefore fear, in verse chapter 4, a promise being left us of entering into his rest, that any of you should seem to come short of it. For as the gospel was preached as well unto them, but the word preached did not profit them for being mixed with faith of them that heard it. For we, 
listen, which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Do you see what he's saying right there? I know it's kind of convoluted language. He's saying that the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest is what? Did I lose you that? Man, I thought it was pretty clear. It says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath if they shall enter my rest, although the works are finished from the foundation of the world. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of what the Sabbath was supposed to be. Jesus is the fulfillment. We're going to see this as we move. He's the fulfillment of the image of God. He's the fulfillment of the temple, of the tabernacle, of the priests, of the sacrifice. He's the fulfillment of all the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He is the fulfillment of everything that we have been given. Jesus is our rest. It says, uh, if you read chapter 3 and chapter 4 sometime when you get home, whenever, and you'll see that he's talking all about those guys in the wilderness that were brought out out of the Exodus. They were promised a Sabbath rest. They were promised that holy land, that promised land, and they for the most part didn't enter into it. They didn't enter into it because of unbelief. It says, but we who have believed, we do enter into that rest. And so chapter 3 and chapter 4 are going to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of that rest. Is there any questions? I know I was chasing lots of rabbits today. Is there anything you need to... The next, two, the next two outlines are already up on the website. The next one I'm going to show you, and this is, boy, I, I'm chasing rabbits in chapter one because I've already jumped ahead to chapter two, and my mind is all thinking about chapter two. It's pretty exciting to me as we see the garden as God's temple and man's uh, call to be uh, both priest and king in that temple. You know, the priest-king words, ought to, it ought to make your ears perk up about the new, from the New Testament perspective. Um, and then we're gonna, I'm going to show you how I'm going to show you how that garden is the kind of uh, prototype for what the temple would be, what the tabernacle would be, and ultimately what Jesus Himself would be, and then in culmination, what the New Jerusalem is going to be. So I'm already thinking ahead. That's probably why I chased a lot of rabbits. So I'm sorry if I bored you today. Is everything good? Any questions, comments? Just remember today what we've learned is that. All mankind's created in the image of God, all of them. Male and females created in the image of God. We're going to see as we look in chapter 2, the first marriage, we're going to see that male and female are equal, but they have different roles in creation and in in uh, this life. And so we're going to see that. But all are created in the image of God and we are to spread the image of God through the creation. And how do we do that today? By going and making disciples. Jesus has perfected that image that Adam lost, not lost, but marred when he sinned in the garden. And we're going to look at all that. Okay? Everybody good? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you give us, Father. We ask that you would, uh, God, just bring some clarity.